On this episode, I interviewed Dr. Jordan August, who is a physical therapist and strength conditioning coach, as well as a research reviewer for Science for Sport. The main topic of this podcast was the integration of rehab and strength conditioning principles post-injury. We broke it up into a couple couple different segment, segments, first starting with early stage management, which we went through kind of the most important parts early on. We then talked about what does ICE have, what does ICE do and what role does it have in that process, does it have a role. We talked about the importance of early mobilization and the benefits of that. And then what he what he looks for when he's starting early mobilization, what do you have to take off? We then moved into strength conditioning principles. We talked about what strength conditioning principles go into your rehab and what's the importance of incorporating movement patterns, how he does that, how he does periodization and the importance of periodization in rehab. And we finished off with optimizing performance and decreasing the risk of injury. So um, where should athletes and practitioners start with the importance of sleep, hydration, et cetera, not just going to the fancy, uh, all the fancy modalities. Then we talked about the importance of strength training and then early specialization and recommendations for youth athletes. So pretty uh, encompassing episode. Great episode, though. And here it is. Welcome to No Week Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date, evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Dr. Jordan August, who is a physical therapist. And today our main topics are going to be integrating the rehab and strength conditioning principles uh, throughout the rehab process. So thank you very much, Jordan, for taking the time to be on. If you you just want to, I guess, give a little bit of background about yourself, give some people um, how you came up, how you got interested in this stuff, and then we can kind of go from there. Sounds good. Patrick, thanks for having me on. Um, again, my name is Dr. Jordan August. I'm a physical therapist uh, and strength and conditioning specialist. Um, a little bit about myself. Graduated with my DPT from Rutgers University in 2015 uh, here in New Jersey in the U.S. Um, on the East Coast where I live and currently practice. Um, coming right out of school, um, I primarily worked in the sports rehab setting um, in a gym-based clinic. Um, we were basically seeing 100%, uh, 100% direct access, um, where I was seeing about 95% athletes uh, from youth all the way to professionals. Um, got to work alongside training conditioning coaches, um, and we were kind of the one-stop shop for training, rehab, recovery. Um, I spent about four years there um, and, and moved on about two years ago to, um, you know, the clinic where I'm at now, more of an interdisciplinary um, practice. So we have physical therapy, acupuncture, chiropractic, um, athletic trainers as well. So um, a little bit more, you know, still seeing um, similar patient population, but a little bit more of a sports medicine and kind of developing a clinical care team. Um, and I'm also the injury prevention and rehab uh, research reviewer for Science for Sport, uh, which is an Australian-based uh, sports science company. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, great background. Uh, I guess we'll kind of go through the stages as, as we talked about with talking about early management first and, and kind of dispelling any myths and talking about your principles through through this stage. So uh, with going through the full process, obviously ever. Everyone, a lot of people, when they get injured, the first thing they go to is ICE. And there's a lot of different acronyms that you mentioned with RISE, police, peace, and love. And I guess we just maybe talk a little bit about those, your opinions on each, how each, or the original thought process and the thought process now, and then what your recommendations are. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that, like, you know, if, you know, anyone gets hurt, you can go to a quick Google search. Uh, you know, type in your injury. And the first thing you're going to see is the typical rice, right? Like rest, ice, compression, elevation. Um, You know, I believe that I think that first came about like somewhere, maybe don't call me on this, like late seventies or early eighties, somewhere around there. And I think it was like, you know, we were looking for a system to really like address the acute stages of injuries. Um, And I think that was the kind of, uh, you know, initial go-to, you know, have, you know, injury, you know, kind of rest it, you want to protect it ice it, compress it, you know, those kind of things. But I think, um, you know, the principles have drastically changed Think you know, and evolved since then. You know, I think that just like, you know, being in the science field and kind of keeping up with research, things are, you know, drastically changing. Um, and I think it's up to us as clinicians, you know, and yourself 
you know, to keep up with these things. Um, cause you know, at the end of the day, you want to really be delivering, um, you know, the proper care to your athletes and your patients. So I think like looking back, you know, all that, although it was kind of a, a good thought process, um, you know, things, like I said, have definitely changed, um, where we went to, you know, protect the area and now you, you, know, you want to optimally load the area and like all kinds of things where like now we're looking at, you know, do you really want to be icing and taking anti-inflammatories like in the early stages of an acute injury, right? So we're learning more about these things. Um, so, so these principles are, are, are evolving. Um, you, know, you know, early management, you know, in an injury often dictates, you know, how quick uh, we can get an athlete back on the field in their respective sport. So I think that, you know, these principles are, are crucial, right? And like super important in the beginning because we don't want to be delivering something and educating athletes to do something if it's going to hinder or kind of slow down their ability to get back on the field. So um, like I said, I think those principles, um, you know, were, were good in the beginning, but they're definitely not something that you want to follow um, now. Um, I think that, you know, the compression and elevation aspect, you know, are, are still beneficial, right? So like compression to, to help control the swelling, elevation, you know, raising the limb, you know, above the heart, again, to reduce blood flow, those kind of things and assist with pain control, um, you know, protection, um, again, emphasizing the importance of avoiding further tissue damage. But like what we know now is that like you want to move that limb, right? Um, and you want to optimally load those areas. And these are things um, that, you know, it's going to change that has changed over time um, and is what's going to lead into um, quicker recovery. Yeah. And, and so I guess, do you want to talk about maybe how you recommend for yours? Do you recommend a certain acronym or do you recommend uh, a process where someone comes in with a general acute injury? I know it's going to be different, obviously, with the injuries, but some general advice you give them on, on yours for the initial stages? Yeah. I mean, like, I, you know, I do follow as far as kind of acronyms go, like you mentioned before, I think everything is kind of patient specific and um, there's going to be different circumstances um, where, you know, where is um, you know, what are the athletes goal and what are they trying to get back to and all that kind of, um, kind of gist. But, um, again, I do follow kind of, uh, the peace and love, um, acronym. I mean, protect the area again, like we said before, you want to, um, you know, elevate, compress, um, those kind of things. Um, I think when we, we, we want to optimally load the area, right. Get things moving. Um, you know, we want to avoid anti-inflammatories. Again, those are things that we found to actually hinder the healing process. And, and I think one of the most important parts, um, and kind of where this acronym ends is the education component. Right. And I think that you can simply, you know, Google an injury and find out information. Right. But I think as healthcare practitioners, just educating, um, you know, athletes uh, about the process and, you know, what's going on, um, in the early stages and how we're going to kind of build off of that and what they have to be doing on their own. I, again, is super important to kind of, kind of paint the picture for them rather than just saying, Hey, uh, we're just going to do this. We're going to do this. Um, so that I think the education, um, you know, component is super important. Yep. What do you, what do you say to your patients when they come in and say, what, like, should I ice or should I ice right afterwards? Cause, uh, obviously there's pain benefits to that, but it not, doesn't necessarily make the injury heal faster or anything like that. So what's your kind of uh, stance on that? Yeah. I mean, like, I think, you know, initially back in the day with the whole the rice, I mean, people were like, oh, you get hurt, just throw some ice on it. Um, I think what we know now is that, um, you know, ice is not going to really be anything more than just an analgesic, right? So again, we, you know, if, you know, if you're in tons of amount of, you know, a ton amount of pain, like, yeah, sure. Ice the thing, you know, um, and that should help in the temporary, but like I said, in, in the long term. Um, it's not really going to do much for you. Um, you know, and then as far as my recommendations, yes, if, if I, I get an athlete or I got a client coming in with like intolerable amounts of pain, like, um, sure, we're going to ice to help with that pain relief and, and maybe some soreness or things like that. But I think that if you were to ask like, you know, nine out of 10 people, like, you know, what is ice for? I, I think most of them are going to say, oh, it decreases inflammation, but you know, does, does it really do that? Right. And, you know, what, like, again, why, why do we want to decrease inflammation? Right. I you know inflammation is part of our normal healing physiologic process. Right. So do we want to do something that's actually going to hinder our body's natural way of healing? So these are kind of things that we're like learning about, um, as time progressed. So, um, I think from that standpoint too, you know, I'm only going to really recommend ice if, if someone's in a, in a ton of pain. Um, but otherwise, um, 
like I said, there are other things we can do in the acute stages, um, including active movement within a pain-free range and things like that. They're going to help actually speed up the process than hinder it. Mm-hmm. And, and so when, when a lot of, especially parents of younger children or something like that will come over, you're not actually giving the, the, the athlete ice. Uh, is, is education, I guess, your best thing, best thing that you do on it? Because obviously that's probably what most people think. And then um, some people could get slightly upset if you don't give the care that they recommend, I guess. Yeah. And it's, and it's one of those things too, where like, again, if like, I'm not going to argue with someone, right? Like, so if they, you know, I get a, like a younger athlete in and, you know, like with their parent and I'm like, you know, I give them the first thing is, is that you want to educate them. Right. Because again, you know, they might've heard someone from a parent or another healthcare practitioner or someone who might not be an evidence-based, you know, clinician. And they're just telling them things where, Oh, well, they heard it from somewhere. So it must be the right thing to do. So I think education is definitely the first thing, um, you know, that you want to make sure. But again, if I'm getting hesitation where it's like, okay, well, you know, I still, still want them to, I said, I'm, I'm not going to cause an argument. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. again, at the end of the day, if it's going to, if they're in pain, it's going to give them a little bit of pain relief and that's going to, you know, give them some buy-in to keep coming back. You know, I'm not going to kind of cross that bridge. Um, again, I want to kind of build that therapeutic alliance and that kind of relationship right off the bat um obviously help them get better and get them back on the field but um again you know i guess first steps would be education but if i'm finding a you know a little hesitation or something uh, you know i'll just do it if that, that's what they want to do yep yeah no that definitely makes sense so after after those stages when we move on to mobilizing early is something you you talk about too as well and i guess maybe we can go over your recommendations for that and the benefits of that and the reasons why you recommend that for patients whereas a lot of people you know want to try it they probably try to protect it longer than than you should try not to move it yeah i mean like you know early mobilization you know whether you're you know coming off an acute soft tissue injury or you know a post-op case um you know i think the end you know, the reason behind early mobilization is that, you know, you're going to get better quicker, right? And you're going to see improved outcomes, you're going to get a quicker recovery, because you're facilitating that healing process, um, right away, Um, as opposed to, you know, you know, someone, you know, just sitting and resting and thinking like, oh, hey, we got to give it time to heal, you're actually setting yourself back, right? So if we have those, like, you know, right after an injury, I would try to say, you know, those first, you know, week or so is really just, you know, again, depending on, you know, what kind of injury you're coming with is really a damage control, right? We want to modulate pain, we want to address range of motion deficits, we want to address edema, all those kind of things. So the quicker we can do that and get kind of past that damage control phase, that's often going to dictate how quick we can progress through rehab. Um, So I think it's kind of a a no-brainer where, you know, should we just kind of sit for two weeks and rest it or, you know, start PT or really just seek care right away? I mean, if we're going to be able to do something and really just start the healing process and still protect the area, um, you know, you can you can come in and, you know, be in a ton amount of pain. But if we're able to kind of address that in the first session or two and, you know, get that extremity or get that limb moving, um, you're just facilitating the healing. And, and again, I think it's, you know, definitely what I recommend recommend um, for most of my clients and athletes is like, hey, you know, you have something that goes on again. If you want to see your athletic trainer, um, that's great. Um, and again, you know, give us a call, like get in right away. Um, and we can kind of, um, make that judgment call of, Hey, we can, you know, like start up rehab right away. Do I have to refer you out somewhere? Um, but I think there is a lot of research, um, you know, comparing, you know, early mobilization rehab a few days after the injury versus a delayed rehabilitation. And, you know, a lot of these findings are are really saying that early loading and getting moving, you know, immediately after an injury versus kind of waiting things out. Um, You're going to be able to get on the field and return to play or return to, you know, whatever you're looking to get back to quicker um, without a risk of re-injury. So, like I said, that's kind of a a no-brainer to me is that, hey, let's jump in, let's get things started early, um, and ultimately it's just going to help facilitate your healing. Yeah, and then when deciding on when to start that process versus the kind of the protecting and letting it dead damage control, as you mentioned before, what are some things you're looking for in order to say, okay, I think you're ready to start progressing into this mobilization process? I mean, in my experience, I think, you know, the sooner the better, right? I mean, you know, things are going to be different. I mean, if we're talking about a a fracture where, 
you know, a significant fracture where we need to be, we need to be waiting for like callus formation and things like that. We want to be kind of cautious with moving that area. That's kind of a, like a, you know, a different scenario. Um, again, if you're dealing, you know, if I'm dealing with a post-operative client, um, again, I'm going to want to touch base with their medical doctor, their surgeon, again, you know, you know, what's the protocol again, noting that, you know, you might have, you know, might have two people come with the same injury, but, uh, you know, two doctors might be doing things differently. Right. So I think it's all about like communication process and things like that. Like, Hey, you know, I think an athlete might benefit, you know, you know, might benefit from, you know, mobilizing here, but Hey, the doctor's saying, Hey, hold off on this for right now. So, uh, again, I think it's, you know, I, I, you try not to butt heads, right. Um, I think having, um, you know, conversations are, you know, are crucial about certain things, but again, I think if, we're on the side of kind of a fracture. Um, and we want to be kind of cautious with the healing. Um, that's one thing. Um, again, post-operative, we want to make sure we're having those conversations to make sure, hey, is, is it safe to kind of move forward with this? But I think in terms of soft tissue injuries, um, um, again, um, I think, you know, obviously the severity of it's going to often dictate how quick we can uh, mobilize. But I, I think um, now that those factors are going to kind of come into play um, and, and kind of decide, you know, how quick I'm going to move forward. Yeah, and then with, with those Obviously, so not your post-op with the doctor's orders and that, but with your more acute injuries that happen that don't necessarily need surgery, as soft tissue injuries, as you mentioned, uh, do you have, where does pain come in? How much do you allow pain to be a factor and how much do you say is okay to push through and what's your stance on that along with, is that part of some criteria you have um, to move forward along with swelling and other things or how, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, I think, you know, we could have a, a whole other, other separate podcast about like pain science and understanding pain and whatnot and kind of go down that hole. But I think as far as, you know, pain is so multifactorial, right? So like I could have, you know, three different people in with the same grade one hamstring strain, but their pain level could be drastically different, right? So I think that's part of that initial counter and initial evaluation that you have with that athlete or client is really kind of meeting them where they're at, right? And kind of setting expectations from there. So, you know, I, you know, I think, you know, as rehab professionals, like we want to be on the air, the air on the side of caution with like, okay, you, you can't do something if you're in pain, right? Like pain is part of the healing process, right? So again, I mean, if we're talking like, you know, eight, nine out of 10 pain, like really excruciating amount of pain, that's going to kind of give kind of a red light. We're like, Hey, like what's going on here? But someone's in like, you know, three, four out of 10 pain, you know, kind of VAS scale. I mean, you know, I'm going to, you know, kind of push through and just kind of, like we said before, it's just like, it's an education standpoint, right? Because people are going to do something right. And like, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to give you some feedback and, you know, they're going to say, oh, that, you know, that's hurting right there. But I think, you know, you have to explain that, hey, that's part of the process like that, you know, a little pain is okay. Right. And I think that's going to be, give them a little bit of re more reassurance um, that what we're doing is kind of part of the healing process. So kind of back to your question, I mean, if like unbearable bouts of pain, um, I'm going to want to really try to, you know, modulate that pain maybe with like some passive modalities or things like that um, first. Um, but uh, again, if, you know, someone is just in a little bit of a pain, I'm going to try to kind of push them just to kind of facilitate that healing. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously pain would be the next day following day would be your determination of how much we go or how, how much we push or if that was too much, et cetera, from everything else. Right. And then like, like I said, everything is kind of, I always, I kind of explain to my patients is like every session is a reassessment, right? So we'll, you know, based on how you're presenting here, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. When I see you in a day or two, you know, you fill me in how you felt like, you know, how were you feeling? Were you good? Were you sore? Were you in more pain? Did you feel better? Like all those kind of things that anyone would normally ask someone, um, you know, after, you know, working through an injury, right? Those always are going to kind of um, give me um, ideas of kind of where we're, we're going to progress, right? Because that initial day is we're going to kind of map things out um, and have a general guideline of plan of, hey, you know, where do we need to go? Where are we at now? And kind of, you know, help kind of bridge that gap um, and kind of set those expectations from day one, but also realizing that it's going to be patient specific and kind of based on how they're presenting. Yeah. And then Billy, on that with pain, other, other than pain, sorry, with, with your, I guess, do you have any other criteria that you try to focus on early on that you really want to focus on um, helping get back to normal and decreasing? As far as pain wise or just in general? No. Yeah. Other than pain, like any other symptoms or signs that you see? Yeah. I mean, as far as the injury wise, I mean, like, you know, as far as kind of uh, tissue loading, right. And kind of making sure you're, you're going through the progressions there. Right. So again, you want to start, 
isometric loading right away, right? Because we don't want to overstress that area, but we want to get those motor units firing and, and get some, um, you know, um, input to that area. And, and again, I'm going to see, you know, how they can tolerate those things, right? You know, we're going to kind of do those for, you know, a few sessions, right? And I'm going to then introduce some eccentric work. Um, and, and if they're okay to tolerate those eccentric loads, then we're going to kind of progress there. So I think obviously keeping in mind pain as well, but, you know, how quick, um, can they tolerate loading to that area? Um, if, you know, if I'm having somebody just kind of focus on isometrics, multi-angle and kind of work in different areas and, you know, you know, they're feeling better, I'm going to start to push them. Right. Um, even though they might still be experiencing, you know, some pain versus someone who might be, you know, a little bit slower. So I think, um, their ability to kind of jump start and, and tolerate loading to that area is often going to dictate how, how quick I'm going to kind of push them through the phases. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. I think that's a good summary of your obviously initial stages from the very beginning until kind of the, where we started. It's more of the S and C principle rehab based stuff. So, I guess do you have any? Do you think there's anything important things we missed or anything that you want to emphasize through that uh, little section of the chat we had? Yeah, I mean, kind of moving on from the S and C before that. I mean, I think the biggest thing, like you know, in, in early stage management, right, is like kind of the days of rest and do nothing are over, right? Like it's funny because I'll still have athletes and, and clients come in and, and, and they'll be like, you know, you know, maybe I, I don't have the connection to them or, uh, you know, I don't know their athletic trainer or their, you know, strength coach. So where they'll, they'll make that direct referral. Um, and, and I'll be kind of questioning them and they'll be like, yeah, you know, I, I just figured, you know, I, you know, we just needs time to heal. So it just needs to rest. Right. And I, you know, I was like, all right, all right, what have you been doing? It's like, no, I've been sitting on the couch for like two weeks where it's like, I think like those days are far in the past um, and, but you still see it out there. So I think like, it's, you know, super important to kind of make that point that educate, like, you know, get in um, rest is not going to help um, kind of get back. And um, we know that if we're not kind of loading the area and optimally loading that area right away, um, we don't want things to atrophy. And, and, and that's kind of like the big thing kind of moving forward is that like the quicker we can kind of stimulate um, cells and, and, and load that area, um, you know, I think the quicker we can get back. So, yeah, no, that makes sense. I think that's really important for the specific part, but even, uh, the whole rest of the body deloads from what they're usually doing as well, such as increases or injury risk going back to, which I think is another important part that I, I try and help as well with that. But moving on to S and C principle wise, um, what, I guess, what do you take kind of obviously you, you have both so what what are some things you take from the snc that you really try to optimize within your physical therapy uh, rehab i know it's definitely a combination of both um but is there any specific things that you really focus on during that principle wise yeah i mean like yeah like i said i mean we can uh, you know we could have a, a huge other conversation but i think like um i think you know, one of my main philosophies is really kind of bridging that gap between rehab performance. I still think it, it's, it's, a, it's a gray area. And even though a lot of the research and a lot of time is, is involved, I still think it's like the days of like, you know, full range of motion. Oh, you feel good. Oh, you can run. Like you're ready to return to support is like, is really, you know, you're really missing the boat. So, I mean, as, as, as far as kind of, you know, what I take from strength and conditioning, I mean, kind of basic principles, right? I mean, I think we don't have to go crazy here, but like things like progressive over overload, right? Like the basic of, of all like physical adaptations, like, you know, back to like early on, like said principle, right? Like our body's going to adapt to the demands that are placed on them. You know, if we're, if we're constantly inducing the same stress over and over, like how are we going to see changes? Right. And I think that's where like the whole like rehab world, um, like the whole, you know, three sets of 10 and, you know, using a TheraBand and, and all this stuff is frowned upon where like, I don't necessarily think that like three sets of 10 is a bad thing. Right. I don't, I don't think like using a TheraBand is, is a bad thing. I think everything has its time and place, but you know, if we're working through a rehab program and those things aren't manipulated or, or changed for weeks, I mean, that's when we're going to run into an issue, right? Because, you know, I think athletes are in rehab programs are still chronically underloaded. Um, and they're going to run into an issue, like I said, even if they feel good, is that they're, they're either not going to be ready for the demands of their sport or they're just going to get hurt again. So I think, you know, as far as as you know physical therapists like we just can't get complacent with doing the same interventions like in the same sets and rep schemes like over and over and you know obviously like 
you know, we can go more in depth about periodization and those kind of things and, and just like manipulating like, you know, sets and reps and, and volume and intensity and all those kind of things. And, you know, mo- you know, most often, you know, just a typical linear periodization is, is pretty straightforward um, and kind of good for clients coming off an injury, just kind of building over time and, and things like that. But, you know, we know that strength is like, the prerequisite of a lot of things, right? So to be able to run, jump and change direction, just to kind of name a few. So if we're kind of missing the boat and we're not kind of changing those set and rep schemes and really getting the most out of what we're looking for from a, like an adaptation adaptation standpoint, um, like I said, I think that's going to, you're, you're kind of running the risk of, of um, you know, re-injury down the road. Yeah. So definitely pr- the progressive overload principle <clears throat> and, um, and set of principles are, as you said, uh, and then another thing I think that what you mentioned is when, you know, an athlete might be good to walk around, do the daily activities, go to work, et cetera, but then there's that massive gap between that and then actually going back to sports. So I feel like that's another really important part that you mentioned of making sure you, you know, take all the boxes in the end of the stage as well, which isn't always done. Uh, you also mentioned with movement patterns and incorporating those uh, I guess what what are your movement patterns that you like to incorporate obviously at the main ones and then uh, how do you like to do that and what's your main reasoning you, you like to do that yeah I mean I think when we look at movement patterns and how things have kind of adapted to kind of you know, even way back and kind of get to that point. I mean, these are basic fundamental patterns we do every day as humans, right? Like injury, non-injury, right? Like if, you know, if you're like a high level athlete coming off a hamstring strain or just a, you know, weekend warrior with shoulder pain, or you're just a normal, you know, these are moving patterns, you know, we do every day, right? So like, you know, squat, hinge, you know, lunge, you know, pushing and pulling and horizontal and, and, and vertical, um, you know, variations and things like that, but, you know, they're meant, you know, to be something practical, um, and, and things we use every day. Um, I think it's, you know, as far as kind of the rehab and strengthening and conditioning realm, I think it's a great way to just kind of break down and classify exercise. And, and I think it's become the foundation of exercise selection, um, and, and definitely relatable right to sport. I think the days of like, you know, the isolated bodybuilding, you know, uh, you know, bicep curls and, and not knocking bicep curls, but I think they're, you know, the more compound movements where we're, you know, you know, getting a lot more from multiple muscle groups at a time is a lot more relatable to kind of sport in everyday life. Um, so, and I think it's a, you know, a great way to kind of set up, um, and categorize progressions and regressions, um, you know, from there and just co- always having in your mind, Hey, this is the starting point how we're going to regress or progress a certain movement pattern. And I think, you know, having that, you know, that foundation of the basic patterns and having to, to being able to kind of regress and progress them kind of on the fly is what I, I personally think makes a good therapist or makes a good strength and conditioning coach, um, the ability to kind of manipulate those. Yeah. So having the main ones you said, but then being able to make it challenging or easier, on the on the spot with them um and which will just go with your progressive overload and then um continual uh, i guess um monitoring as you mentioned whereas if you know they are going a little bit more pain or not as challenging you'll bring it down and if they're doing easier you'll bring it up is that kind of what you're saying there yeah yeah definitely i mean that you know that's one aspect too and i think too like you know, again, you can have, you know, movement patterns and progress them by body position, right? And then you can kind of challenge the demands where, you know, we might start, you know, in, in supine, or then we're going to go into, you know, a tall kneeling or half kneeling and standing and kind of progress through those phases too, which can really kind of, um, kind of challenge, um, you know, the, the body a little bit more as you, as you're working through those progressions. Yep. And you mentioned periodization a little bit before with, with linear periodization for athletes. We don't have to go, like I said, super in-depth on it, but is maybe just talk about the importance of it that you see, especially like I said, with the athletic population. It's way different than just a general person getting back to their, their normal activities. So talk about maybe um, some aspects of periodization you think are really important for the athlete, and then if there's anything particular you like to do with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, again, I just kind of like you stated before, like it, it it's based on the client, right? So like if I have a, you know, an everyday, you know, person who's just trying to get back to, to daily activities, that's kind of a little bit different, but you know, if we're kind of, you know, really focusing on the athletic population, I think if we're talking, let's just say for, you know, an ACL, 
you know, client that's coming to see me post-op and, and our goal is to really get them back. Um, let's just say they're a collegiate sprinter or, you know, um, whatever the case may be. Um, again, just typical linear periodization model, you know, might use is really just starting with kind of a, you know, a, you know, a lower volume rate and, and again, kind of progressing over time where, you know, we're kind of might focus there, uh, you know, the first month, you know, two sets of, you know, 10 and kind of moving on through there, but realizing that again, they're going to, you know, they're an athlete that's going to be with you for a long time. Right. So the days of, you know, seeing ACL client for six months, that's in the past. Right. So we know that, you know, keeping someone on and setting those expectations from like, again, your chance of re-injury is going to be significantly less almost by half. If you just kind of wait to return to month, you know, to sport at eight months, um, nine months, um, you know, you know, we need to kind of progress them to that point where, um, again, we're going a little bit heavier in the volume, decreasing the reps and really kind of working, um, you know, not just strength, but even challenging you know, other aspects too, of like rate of force development and all those, uh, you know, other areas as well, which I think too, is kind of like I you know mentioned before is that there's this gray area where it's like, all right, just because we're strong, <laughs> you know, doesn't mean we're ready to return. Right. And I think like, there's a lot of research on just even rate of force development alone that like, no matter what the injury is and this specifically in the athletic population where, um, you know, that is drastically decreased after injury. Right. And then we, ha- we know that we have to be able to produce force and, and do that fast when, you know, we're working with athletes. So I think those are other areas too, um, that we want to make sure that we're, um, kind of hitting and kind of filling those, those buckets, um, you know, to really make sure there we're, we're preparing athletes. I think that, there was like a study by uh, Buckthorpe in 2019 that showed that, you know, eight to 12 reps are, are good to develop strength and muscle size, but are ineffective at, incre- you know, increasing rate of force development. So there's just kind of a, a really just a, you know, statement right there that kind of shows that like, sure, like eight to 12 reps are, are great, but if we're not really manipulating, um, sets and reps and really kind of training force development and teaching these athletes how to, how to move quickly, um, then we're kind of, uh, we're missing the boat for sure. Yeah, definitely. And that, um, I guess going back, even building on that with, with periodization, not only in the gym and, and like I said, the reps, uh, but doing field work, field rehab or running or actually moving instead of just lifting weights and stuff. Um, obviously that's going to be a big, important part of the periodization as well. And, um, do you have anything that you do specifically with that or anything you, um, really focus on with, with that part of it? As far as getting back to field, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, once it gets to that point, I mean, I, I definitely kind of get on and kind of bridge and have some on-field sessions because I think that's important, right? I mean, like, you know, my clinic is, you know, fully equipped with, you know, um, you know, like turf and, and, and barbells and, and racks and things like that. But, you know, there's, I think there's a certain aspect where from like a psychological standpoint too, is that we need to get these athletes back on the field and get them um, kind of back doing what they're, they're ready to do. So I think that, you know, in terms of anything specific, I mean, you know, there are, um, whether that be kind of, you know, getting them, you know, back into certain things, um, like tempo runs and, and all kinds of other things and kind of progressing over time, um, that, you know, that's one thing, um, I think, um, you know, having, as a good kind of a network of SC coaches too, to kind of kind of collaborate with, um, I think is important as well. So, you know, I have a few clients too, that I'm kind of focusing on, on rehab and then they'll go over them and, you know, they'll kind of take that aspect, um, of it as well. And we'll kind of, kind of communicate, um, you know, um, you know, daily and weekly and things like that. So, um, there are, you know, some specifics here and there, but I think that, you know, um, you know, having that good network and, and being able to kind of pass things on and, um, you know, with other disciplines, um, you know, and building that team, I think is super important. Yeah, definitely. I guess that though, so anything else on the S&C principles wise, do you think, um, or any highlights you want to make of, of that, um, little part of our conversation that you think is really important? No, I think with that, we most of it there uh, and, and last thing obviously once they get back or even trying to decrease the risk of an injury in the first place uh where do you usually start with with athletes there and trying to decrease risk of injuries or make sure once they're fully rehabbing to go back to what are some things you, t- you tell them to try and help decreasing the risk of it happening again 
Yeah, I mean, I would say another passion of mine besides helping to bridge that gap between like rehab and performance is really just the the education component and like, you know, educating athletes on, on ways to optimize performance and ultimately decrease the risk of injury. Um, I think that like, I think you would probably agree, but like, you know, recovery and injury prevention and all these kind of like buzzwords and things you see on social media, like, you know, recovery boots and cryotherapy and like Theragun and all these like passive modalities, which, you know, I'm not bashing by any means. Cause I think, you know, just like everything, I think things have their time and a place, but I think if you're prioritizing, um, you know, those things over adequate sleep and hydration and stress management and nutrition, I, I think you're really kind of missing the boat there. Um, and in terms of like, you know, so those are things I'll definitely, um, you know, will be my first go-to to educate, you know, athletes on and kind of, you know, question them is like, Hey, you know, how much sleep you're getting? Like, you know, how are you doing, you know, outside of like rehab, how are you doing in the gym? Like, you know, whether they're working with a SNC coach, like how is like the load management side, like, you know, what are you eating? Like, what are you putting in your body? Whether that be like the daily after a lift, like a pre-competition, like that kind of thing. So those are all, those are all things that are free, right? Like, I think sometimes like we're always like in like athletes, like looking for the next hot topic, the next big, big thing. And people are like actually paying like a decent amount of money for like cryotherapy and like to use all these other like modalities where, like I said, I think, you know, I utilize them too, but uh, those are not, you know, my, my first kind of go-tos when kind of educating um, athletes on, on ways to kind of decrease injury risk. Um, and there was a, uh, Specifically, um, there was a doctor out of Boston, uh, Maluski, who did a study in 2014 um, on athletes, and they found that athletes who sleep less than eight hours per night um, have a 1.7 times greater risk of sustaining sports-related injuries. So that's kind of like uh, pretty significant there. Where it's like, hey, if, if you're if you're getting four, five, six hours of sleep, your chance of injury um, is is going to be heightened um, just based on that alone, right? So. Um, I think those are, you know, that's a super important aspect, um, that I definitely make sure that I hit, um, you know, other things as well as like hydration, right? Like, you know, our muscle cells are made up of like 75% water. So, I mean, if like we're in a state of dehydration, right, how's that going to affect performance? Um, you know, and other aspects like stress management and kind of load management and, and making sure, you know, athletes aren't overtraining and, and, and things like that. Um, I think are, are super important um, to, to make sure uh, to have those conversations. With, with athletes though, obviously it's, I, how do you approach that when, when someone comes to you, you know, obviously those things all look cool, whereas sleep and drinking water and all that just doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem like it, it doesn't seem like it's going to help them enough, you know, like it's as important as everything else and all these other making it look really cool. So how do you go about doing that is just general education or is there any specific ways that you've had good success with convincing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, kind of like I said before, I, like, it, it's funny cause you say it's like, almost sounds as like convincing where people are like, Oh yeah, like good water, like sleep. Like who, who needs that? I'm just going to like, I'm just going to grind and train and train and train. But like, I mean, you know, I, I think it comes down to the education piece. I mean, it's also sometimes too, like I'll, you know, I might visit it and then like, I won't push it. Right. Like I might say like, Hey, like, you know, just maybe question it. And like, they'll give me some, you know, give me an answer or something. I'll just maybe, maybe wait a little bit and w make them like, you know, just even kind of plant those seeds and then kind of wait kind of down the line where it's like, Hey, they had a you know crappy week of training or, or something was going on. And, and then, you know, you question that is like, Oh man, like, you know, like it, I've been really stressed lately. Like school's crazy. Like I haven't been sleeping. I'm all this stuff on my mind and, and it kind of almost makes them kind of revisit that initial conversation. So I kind of almost like, I think from an education standpoint, like I said, it's, it's important to kind of have those conversations, but it's almost like I'm trying to kind of plant seeds a little bit without going over the top, because I think with any athlete or any client, right, if you just keep harping the same thing over and over again and just keep spitting facts at them, they're just going to totally just like listen in one ear out the other. Um, so I think just like even bringing up in kind of like normal, normal conversations and kind of, like I said, just planting those seeds and, um, you know, kind of waiting for them. Um, and, and once I kind of see something where, you know, maybe they look super fatigued, that's what I'll kind of jump back in and say, and kind of, you know, get those questions back in. And that's where they'll usually kind of open up to me a little bit more. And then, yes, yeah, so, yeah, that makes sense. 
with that too, what if someone says more lines of like, oh, this really helps me. And then, but they like, so what are your thoughts on it? Or what are your opinions on it? Uh, with something that, you know, it's more of that passive that, you know, might help a little bit, but isn't the main chunk of it. Do you have any, do you usually obviously just let them do that, that and then educate them on the fact of it as well, but emphasize more of the sleep hydration, et cetera, with that? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, you know, we know a lot about the research and, you know, what the positive benefits from that stuff. But, but again, it's like, you know, you know, an athlete or or client or someone comes in and and they find something that works for them, like, go do it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna knock something because the research doesn't, you know, doesn't, you know, um, you know, prove it to be effective. Again, I think like as evidence-based clinicians, we want to make sure that, you know, when we look at to fill buckets, we're making, we want to make sure that we're not kind of overloading one um, without kind of look at the others that are going to be a little bit more important. But again, if I, you know, five athletes come to me and then they're just showing me that the other telling me like, Hey, you know, the, you know, someone told me this or, or I tried this, or again, you know, we can get a lot of, you know, knowledge and information from a lot of different places. But, you know, if someone's coming in and saying that something worked well for them, like, you know, you know, I'm not going to fight it. Like go, go do it. Kind of edit part of your, you know, edit to kind of your, your, um, you know, kind of routine. Um, but just kind of make sure we're hitting these other aspects as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I guess one other thing, I know there's a decent amount of research out there is the importance of, of strength training uh, and, and the decrease in the risk of injury. So maybe we want to talk a little bit about that of, um, and, and why you emphasize it and how you talk to your patients with that. Yeah, man, I think that, you know, first off the bat, um, if you look at the number one cause of injury, um, it's pretty, you know, unanimous that it's previous injury, right? So I think we, you know, in that aspect, we need to really be taking a step back first and just kind of questioning our kind of rehab process and sure. And, you know, and really ensuring that we're doing everything we possibly can to decrease the risk of injury. Um, you know, and I think strength training is going to fill a lot of those buckets, right? It's not everything, kind of the other things we kind of alluded to earlier, um, but it's a pretty, you know, big bucket and kind of research backed, um, that it's going to kind of be a little bit, you know, more protective, um, you know, over injury. Um, there was one pretty big study, um, that looked at a bunch of athletes, um, and they, you know, the kind of the, um, the population included, um, you know, athletes with ACL tears, hamstring strains, um, like patellofemoral pain or kneecap pain. Um, and they had kind of two groups, um, with those strength training and those who didn't, what they found was that athletes who strength trained got hurt, um, you know, a lot less with those who didn't. So, um, I think it's important to realize that, you know, we're not just saying that, Hey, just, just strength training, you won't get hurt. Um, because you, you can't prevent injury. Um, and you can't, you know, if someone, if you go to someone and they tell you, Hey, do this, you're not going to get hurt, like run away because, because that stuff isn't true. Um, but I think, um, just understanding the, 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 the aspects of, of just that, you know, you know, obviously mobility and those kind of things are important, but like strengthening is going to be really more protective over injury. So, you know, that's something that, you know, I emphasize in, in rehab, um, you know, as well as, um, you know, a, a lot of other colleagues and, um, you know, do as well. Yeah. And so when an athlete, I feel like what's your, what's your thoughts on an athlete comes in, does proper rehab, does proper strength training, strength conditioning, whatever you want to call it, um, throughout the rehab process, goes back to sport, doesn't focus on that extra stuff anymore, stops doing strength and conditioning if they don't have access to it, then obviously it's probably going to put them at more risk for an injury again. Do you think that happens quite often of, of where you do proper rehab and you do the proper strength conditioning and then once they go back to their sport, that's when they stop and then it just happens again? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's huge, right? Because like there's nothing worse than like building someone back up from like, you know, their most vulnerable state, or even if it's like a, you know, low level injury or really just getting them back to their sport and then just like totally cut into cold Turkey and just like, all right, man, like I'm good to go. I'm just going to, you know, play my sport. And I think that's where, like, I think if we go back, like really setting those expectations and then just what's going to be important of what, you know, and kind of almost like putting the ball in their court and just saying like, you know, Hey, and something I do is like, Hey, instead of just saying like, Hey, I'm going to see you like, you know, 
you know, you know, it'll take about, you know, four weeks for you to get to kind of this point or, you know, it's, I'm just always trying to put things back in their core and just like, Hey, does that work for you? Is that something that you're going to keep up with? Right. So I think that, you know, I think the long lines of like having a good network and being able to, you know, have someone continually strength train and let's just say they're, you know, past the rehab and um, they're back to sport. But, you know, I think, you know, it's super important to, you know, obviously, you know, those, you know, strength training and, and the volume of what you're doing is obviously going to be a lot less, um, you know, if you're in season and those kind of things. But I think it's such an important aspect to at least, you know, keep up to and, and continue to do. Cause like you said, I mean, like if you're, there's nothing more, um, you know, frustrating than, you know, having some, you know, bringing someone all the way back and then they're just going to totally stop doing something. Um, and then just kind of get hurt and back, back to see you kind of square one again. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess last thing here, just the, I guess you said you wanted to talk a little bit too about the effects of early specialization and then recommending recommendations for youth athletes. And uh, I guess, yeah. How do you go about talking to that with athletes and parents and, and what are your recommendations to try and decrease the risk of injury? Yeah. I mean, I think like early specialization, I think is huge. I mean, I think it's important. Um, I'm seeing a ton of, of youth athletes and, I think that, you know, if you look at every professional sports team, um, you know, I would say about 95%, maybe even more of athletes, you know, when they were younger played multiple sports. Um, I think that even, I think that I remember like a few years back here in like the Super Bowl, I remember it was like the Eagles versus the Patriots. And I distinctly remember it was like something that came up on the screen and it was like, like 97% of like the starting roster for like every, you know, every you know, for both teams, you know, played multiple sports when they were growing up, which I thought was like huge and make me like stop for a second. It's just like, it's crazy because I think that like when I see a lot of these youth athletes come in and they're like 11, 12, 13 years old and like, you know, their dad thinks they're the next like Tom Brady or like Derek Jeter. It's like, and they're playing like they're one sport like all year round and they're constantly doing the same thing over and over and over. It's just like, you know, take a step back and just like, did you ever question that where it's just like, you know, you keep bringing your kid to like rehab and stuff. Do you ever kind of question just like, Oh, maybe like we should get them in other sports or maybe we should just kind of don't down, die down with like how much volume we're constantly doing on, on a, you know, continuing basis. So I think like, you know, I, I educate a lot more again, these kids are young. So, you know, some of them understand it, but it's more so for the parents. Right. So I, you know, I think it's education from their standpoint is that like, Hey, like, you know, are, you know, are they playing other sports? Are they interested in doing other things? Like, Hey, maybe like, instead of playing baseball all year round, like, you know, you can kind of get into something else and, and, uh, you know, something with a little bit, you know, different kind of movement patterns. So we're not kind of inducing the same stress over and over on, on the same joints repetitively, um, repeatedly, uh, excuse me. So I think that, um, you know, it's super important from an education standpoint. Um, and I think just get involved with other sports. Um, and I think that, you know, that's one of the things where it's like, Hey, I'll help you get back, um, you know, from this injury, but I don't want to see you for the same thing. You know what I mean? So that's how, you know, when I know I, I did my job well and it really registered, um, whereas like, Hey, you know, I'll get you through this shoulder injury. Uh, you know, I want you to continue to work on these things, whether they do that on their own or whether they see another, you know, a provider or SNC coach or something like that. But, um, you know, I think it's a, something super important um, that we want, we want to make sure that I get across. Um, I thought there was a, another interesting study um, um, that showed uh, that if a youth athlete was actually playing their respective sport, um, more hours per week than their age, their chance uh, of, of re-injury kind of went through the roof. So I think that's another, you know, important, important um, aspect to realize. Like, again, if we're, we're taking the same demands on the strain, same mechanics um, on the joints over and over and over, um, you know, you know, every day, every week, every month, um, all year round, um, it's kind of not shocking (laughs) that things are going to kind of break down and you're going to get into this kind of pain cycle, um, so I think that, yeah, like I said, I think avoiding early specialization is, is huge. Um, and, but like I said, it's a lot of it is educating the parents. Yeah, yeah. And, and even on top of that, what are your thoughts on, I guess, last one here, real last one, uh, if someone, you know, three sport athletes in high school is, is, you know, 
wow, you're a three-sport athlete, et cetera. What are your opinions on having, like, one off-season just to focus on your proper load management, strengthening up, helping any injuries, getting conditioned to play another sport? Do you recommend that ever? Or as long as it's different sports, um, you think that's, that's good? I mean, listen, I mean, depends on the level, right? Like, if we're talking youth, like, again, a lot of them are like, like I said before, a lot of these parents kind of, like, have these ideas in their minds, like, oh, my God, this kid's going to be the next, like, pro athlete, where it's just like, hey, you're, like, 11 years old. Like, just, like, get out there and, like, play all play multiple sports like have fun you know play with your friends like Mm -hmm. trying to get things involved but like as you get older right like things become a little bit more organized and um you know your body you know you go through that maturation process and you know you get bigger you're whether you're getting trained you're getting faster you're getting stronger all those kind of things so um i you know if i'm dealing with you know uh, an athlete or whether that be high school or collegiate athlete you know that's like multi-sport athlete like again i'm not going to say you know again i think it's a good thing but i think it does kind of run the risk sometimes too is that like hey from like you said like a load management standpoint um it could be a lot of volume just overall right so like if like you know if they have like one off season to kind of recover and rest up and they're constantly going from like you know base you know baseball and then it's like you know it's it's like wrestling and then it's like a you know winters in sport and then spring and they're really not giving their body a chance to really kind of rest repair and recover i think that can kind of pose some issues um down the road too um so i think it's it's good that they're they're playing multiple sports um and kind of um letting your your body kind of work through kind of different mechanics and movement patterns and things like that but i think that can kind of cause a risk as well if we don't have um you know kind of a longer time to recover yeah yeah for sure so the youth athlete obviously trying to expand definitely all kinds of different sports as possible just to get used to different movements and but not overloading how much load but variation and then your older patience is probably gonna be more of the load management as it gets more serious perfect well thank you very much for taking the time to be on today uh if you just want to shout out where people can follow you on on your social media as long as long as uh and like i said you're research reviewer in science sports so if you want to talk a little bit about that uh, happy to put all those in the show notes yeah for sure uh you can follow me uh uh jog um dot dpt um on instagram um, and like I said, um, I'm also a injury prevention rehab research reviewer for science for sport. Um, so we kind of, you know, you know, build, um, performance digest, um, every month, um, that, you know, gives you up to date, um, sports science research and, um, in other areas of S and C, um, rehab, um, youth training, technology and monitoring, just to kind of name a few there, nutrition as well. So if you, if you don't follow us on there, definitely, um, just to kind of make sure you're kind of keeping up um, with the latest stuff out there. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for being on. Really appreciate it again. Thanks for having me on Patrick. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to no week links. If you'd enjoy the show and would be able to leave a five star review on Apple podcasts, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning content and injury rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on my website, www.patrick-wood.com. All this information can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening.